Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we ask, in a world where people believe any bullshit the slimiest among them choose to spread, where misinformation turns friend against friend and tears families apart, what is truth anyway? And also, we talk about boys. Book number two, Secrets. What Jessica wants, Jessica gets, even if someone gets hurt. Hi there, welcome back. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is Dora Nuandu. I'm so thrilled to have you here with me, my friend. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, sure. I'm Adora, Adora Nwandu, and I've been reading Sweet Valley, I guess, for 30 years now. 30 years? Yeah, or just under. You are one of the original readers of the series. I think so. I came in through the gateway of Sweet Valley Twins. Which As did I. They, they suck you in young. You're barely <laughs> reading ladybird books and then they give you this thing about these kids who are in sixth grade and it meant very little to me. I was like, what is sixth grade? <laughs> what is sixth grade? It's old. But yeah, they, they were fascinating. And so at a very tender, impressionable age, I was introduced to this world created by Francine Pascal. Yes, yes. Created by Francine Pascal, as it says on the cover of every book. And um, yeah, so let's talk about the cover of oh, book number two, Ooh. Secrets. Uh, the second book in the series, we've gotten to know Jessica and Elizabeth uh, a little bit through book one, and now we continue to learn more and more about them. So what do we learn from the cover of this book? One of my favorites, one of my favorite covers. <laughs> this is a gorgeous cover. It's, um, it's pastels, but it's also, I don't know, it's such an odd combo of pastels. I would say it's a peach melba with green, like a bright green trimming sort of thing with the usual Sweet Valley logo in red. And then Secrets is in green as well. So it's it's such a subversive combo because you've got all these pinks and lilacs. And on an outfit, you would just send someone back to the 80s really quickly. But on this book cover, it just brings back nostalgia. The kind of orange and green that make up the background and the circle around the picture are just kind of dangerously close to the pink and green in the middle, but not the same. I love that you describe it as subversive. <laughs> Is very and it also gives their blonde hair a bit of a green tinge so I do think they are purposely doing something here so Jessica is on a bright pink telephone and Elizabeth is looking at her like oh what is going on Aghast. this picture says so much to me about the whole series that I have actually used it quite a bit in on my sweetvalleydiaries.net website I've used it as kind of a logo I love this picture and I also have to point out that I do not think that this happens at all in this book. No. If this weren't book number two, there would be a picture of Enid on the cover of this yes. book because Enid is kind of the star or maybe Miss Dalton. Yeah. Oh, ooh. But I don't think any, I don't think teachers or adults really ever get featured on the covers of the books. I think I've seen one cover with their mum on it, um, but I can't remember maybe. which one. And it was. Three, oh, actually, no, it wasn't their mum. It was their cousin, because it was three girls that looked almost like... Him. Yes, their cousin, that's right. Well, but really, anyone could mistake yes. uh, Mrs. Wakefield for one of the Wakefield twins, Absolutely. as we are reminded every time she is introduced to us in these yes. books. Alice just looks like their older sister. She does. They're older, 
just as beautiful sister, I think is usually how it goes. Well, without further ado, I guess let's get into the story uh, of the book. We, as I mentioned, we have Enid featured prominently in book one, um, as you probably could guess, but I'll, I'll fill you in. Book one uh, has this tease throughout the whole book that Enid is really worried about things with her boyfriend, Ronnie, who's like sort of her boyfriend. She really likes him. He's kind of a dick in the book, but she's really into him and she's so uncomfortable, but the book does not give us a single clue about what it is that she's worried about. In book two, waste no time. No, not at all. Go straight into it. Yeah, he is an abusive partner. That's essentially what he is. But not in a way that um, a teenage girl would necessarily recognize. Because back then, you just think, oh, he's super jealous because he loves me so much. That's true. So Enid has, in this boyfriend, Ronnie, a, a very jealous boyfriend. And she is worried that he's going to find out that she's been writing letters to this pen pal. We'll talk about that in a second. But you're right that Enid's concern, like the nature of Enid and Ronnie's relationship, while just you just shake your head reading mm-hmm. it like this asshole, like Enid, get away from this guy. Mm-hmm. It is believable. Yes. For middle school or sorry, for high school high girls. School, yes. And even um, this was before we started using language like red flags. But Elizabeth even feels a tiny alarm bell going on when um, she hears some of the stuff that Ronnie has been saying to Enid. So I was thinking, okay, even then, and even in that context, they knew this wasn't right. That's true. And in fairness, the book is trying to suggest to us that this is not really great behavior. Um, So what is Enid so worried about? Oh, uh, so we, we give away the secret? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, the book case. is called Secrets, but we have no secrets we, from we, our listeners. Well, <laughs> Enid had a bit of a rough and ready past. She had this, well, a friend, boyfriend called George, who w- was going off the rails with her. They do drugs and then they drive around and just go a bit crazy. And everything came to a head when um, they had this big accident, which um, led to Enid just being scared straight. And George being sent away to the school to straighten up and fly right. That's right. Now, this is particularly shocking because Enid now is so straight-laced, or so straight, Mm. as the book says constantly. It's a little Mm. bit jarring because nowadays I don't think that's the terminology we would use. (laughs) If you keep reading that someone is straight, Mm. it suggests something else. But, which was also true of, like, every character in all these books, unfortunately. Uh, But, at least for now. Um, But... Enid is so straight-laced that Jessica's main complaint about Enid throughout not only the first book, but the whole series, is that she's such a weenie, she's so boring, she's such a nerd, such a quiet, boring nerd. But in fact, she's got this dark past where she was Mm -hmm. using bennies, which I think is some kind of drug. Oh, I was wondering, is that what they used to call Molly? I I think it's some kind of like barbiturate. I feel... It's like a like an eighties or seventies word for some kind of a some drug slang that I we could have looked up, but True. Uh, I didn't. Uh, you get the picture and the context, please. Absolutely, I love not knowing exactly what this thing that they were getting high on was. But the story uh, that comes right off the bat, page six. I, I I had to take a picture because I think that the story is so crazy. They basically commit near vehicular manslaughter yes. on a child. Yes. I, I'll read it real quick. The situation came to a nightmarish climax the afternoon Enid and George went joyriding in George's GTO, stoned out of their minds, and struck a little boy who was playing near the road. 
For Enid, the whole world stopped moving at that moment. She climbed out of the car, as if in slow motion, her knees rubbery. Forever frozen in her memory was the sight of that tiny figure crumpled on the pavement, the horrifying sound of the scream of his mother as she came racing out of her house. And so forth. That was, even reading it again, so disturbing. We don't get darkness like this from these books for a while. Although, in fairness, in the last book, there was like some carjacking and Mm. some pretty crazy stuff happening at Kelly's. So death from drugs. Yes, but that happens later. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Yes. Wait, wait. <laughs> it was only book two. So shocking though when it happened. I just didn't know. And it stayed with me my entire life. So basically George and Enid both kind of totally changed their lives. As you said, George mm-hmm. went away to kind of military school yeah. and they've been keeping track as friends through letters. Mm-hmm. Now, Enid is really, really worried that Ronnie is going to find out not so much about her past, her very dark secret past, Mm -hmm. but about the letters that she's been Mm -hmm. writing to George. Because he has serious trust issues generally, so she knew that it would be a two-hander. The jealousy thing is out of hand, and plus just him feeling like she's been lying to him because that just feeds into the jealousy. But we did get a nod at at what was perhaps behind his insecurity and it was, I think, his divorced parents because one of them, I think his mum had been cheating on his dad. I think that is what happened because it was not just that he knew people cheated Mm. but that specifically like the female party of the relationship was stepping out on the male party Mm. and it, it really fostered in him a distrust of women in their romantic relationships and i mean but what she says this is the red flag moment again right off the top page nine of the book elizabeth says there's no reason ronnie should be jealous over a few friendly letters and enid says you're talking about someone who turns green if i look sideways at another guy by accident last week he caught me going over a homework assignment with a guy in my history class i thought he was going to blow a fuse I read that and I was just like, if I were Elizabeth, I wouldn't just say, oh, that doesn't seem right. I would take Enid by the shoulders and just shake her. Like, this guy is crazy. That was that was a lot. But you know the one that really made my eyes almost pop out was when Todd was talking about it later in the book. And he was saying how, do you remember when Enid went to talk to the takeout guy to ask for extra cheese? Ronnie almost went ballistic. And I thought, Todd is noticing and seeing this is weird, not just Enid and Elizabeth, you know, and if Todd's noticing, then yeah, yeah, there is definitely some. Well, you know what Elizabeth and Enid need is for Todd to be a male ally and, um, you know, stand up to Ronnie himself. But there is that but. The <laughs> thing is. The book oh, plays that moment as a joke, don't it, you think? It does play it as a joke, but it. Oh, Where the punchline is, she was just asking for no anchovies on the pizza. Yes, exactly. But um, I I just had a thought reading these books anew. I think it was page 104. Um, and I think Elizabeth was just talking about how wonderful their relationship was and how no one was in a super crazy hurry, even though, oh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, and Elizabeth was like, all we do is hold hands and kiss and we're so boring. And Todd was like, no, that's not boring at all to me. And he sounded genuinely sincere about it. And I thought to myself, Ooh, is Todd gay? Is this what's going on here? 
if it was in any book I read now, and this was yes. all, I would be completely thinking, ah, Todd. I literally just saw a movie where something almost exactly like that happens, and that was my red flag in the moment where I was like, I wonder if this character might be gay. I won't say the title of the movie because it's very new, so spoilers. Less concerned about spoilers of this book written in 1983. But, um, yeah, I noticed that, too. With Todd and Elizabeth, all, the, all they do is hold hands and kiss. Not much gossip there. Although, of course, um, no gossip about what's happening in the school is ever, like, explicitly about sex. It's always implicit. So, okay. We've set up... The, really, that's the basic conflict, is that... Um, Enid is afraid that Ronnie's going to find out about her letters to George and dump her. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, what's happening is Jessica really wants to be the queen of the fall dance. Mm. Ronnie is, like, running the fall dance, and Enid is also up for queen. And so she thinks that if she can break up Ronnie and Enid, then Enid won't be fall queen and, like, Jessica will. Yeah, Jessica wants to be fall queen, but it's more about getting to Bruce Patman, who... Just seems to ignore her because he likes all these faster, older ladies who are in college. And Jessica's desperate for his attention and she's convinced that he'll be king. And so if she's queen, he'll have to go to events with her. And once she has him in her thrall, she'll just have him wrapped around her finger because, you know, forced circumstances will make you fall in love with someone because that's how it always works. (laughs) I had a rare moment of uh, kind of empathy or relating to Jessica for me I I don't relate to Jessica that often but I had a a fleeting glimpse where I really felt like I could get inside of her head uh, when there's this moment where she's just not getting through to Bruce Patman he just doesn't seem to notice her she has this mix of feeling like I know that I can get anyone in the world to love me because I'm so great like I can I can get whatever I want I can wrap anyone around my finger but how do I get them to my finger? You know, like, how do I how do I get them there? Like, what's happening here? It's this weird blend of... I'm not saying that I know that I can wrap anyone around my finger, but I am saying that this mixture of, like, this bravado that behind it has a little bit of, like, but it's not working. Like, why don't they see me? Like, why can't he see how beautiful I am? Aren't I beautiful enough? You that know? was very interesting. Yeah. Because that's all we hear about Jessica. She's flashy and gorgeous and this and... She gets whatever she wants. Yes. She gets whatever she wants, and, like, she's going to trick you. Yeah. Which, (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what the book introduces Jessica as. So she finds Mm -hmm. one of these letters from George to Enid. Mm -hmm. Enid drops it on Elizabeth's floor. Mm -hmm. Jessica barges into Elizabeth's room because it's cleaner than Jessica's Mm -hmm. Hershey bar bedroom. Finds the letter and is like, heh, heh, heh. She goes to dad's office to xerox the letter and then puts it back because she's like someone will notice and that was her undoing if she hadn't put it back no one would ever have well elizabeth would never have guessed it was her that's true for some reason you think we guessed we could have guessed it was her if the book hadn't told us absolutely but so she puts the letter in ronnie's locker ronnie reads it and another weird scene with ronnie comes a little bit later when he has read the letter but we don't know that Mm. enid doesn't know that he and enid go parking yes and it feels a little like date rape is about to happen it really really did i was very concerned for her but I I kept thinking okay she seems strong and she's very pushy and she just does not let him get away with that rubbish so yeah she she gets out and even Ronnie doesn't seem like his heart is in the rape 
But still, I think he was just pushing boundaries. It was a mess. It really was. Well, and we find out that really he's like almost kind of trying to stick it to her. Like, you are a much naughtier girl than you ever told mm-hmm. me. Like, like because he knows about her past, it's like yeah. you've been holding something back from me. I have another pull from the book just because that moment stuck out to me so much where it says, I mean, there are, it, this goes on for pages. So I could have picked any number of quotes, but... It says, he pulled her against him. Even his face felt rough against her skin as he kissed her. When she tried to pull away, he only held tighter. Finally, Enid managed to wrench free of his grasp. She twisted away from him, facing the hot window so he wouldn't see that she was crying. Hot tears dripped onto the hands she held tightly clenched in her lap, so tightly her fingernails dug into her palms. What's the matter? Ronnie growled. I don't rate up there with old Georgie boy. You're not going to give me any of the same stuff you're giving him? It's just like, it's scary. I feel like I have to put a trigger warning on this episode. I think it's definitely worth it. But what was also interesting was he made sure to break up with her before he tried to um, go fast with her, as he probably thought in his head. So I thought, okay, so he wants to make it clear that he wouldn't treat his girlfriend like this, but now she's just a loose woman that he happens to have in his car. He can do whatever he wants and try and break which boundary whichever boundaries and it also sounded like he wasn't even sure what he wanted he just knew it was something and it was more than what she had been offering him and that's why it was just such an interesting scene for me yeah he just seemed as confused as she was but just knew he he wanted something he had to do something different which was terrible it's terrible yeah so once Ronnie finds out about the letters. The thing that was actually most traumatic for me in this book is that Enid assumes that Elizabeth must have told him. I know. Because Elizabeth's the only person that she told. And Elizabeth swore to keep her secret. But she just can't see any other way. Mm -hmm. And when Elizabeth assures her Mm -hmm. that it wasn't her, she just will not hear it. And this was so frustrating for me i'm actually just rereading or listening to the audiobook of the harry potter and the goblet of fire and there's something similar happening with harry and ron in that book at this point and i actually turned it off like the i guess this must be a trigger for me because i had to stop listen i was too it was too much for me to have ron just not believe that harry didn't put his own name in the goblet of fire and i mean i went back and listened to it again and i know it's i know how it all ends but I guess this this idea of not being believed is oh, it's terrifying. And with Ron and um, Harry, after all those years and everything they've been through, with Enid, I'm kind of like, yeah, she's best friends, but this is kind of like a new best friendship sort of thing. If this is happening in book 20, I'd just say to Liz, kick Enid to the curb. You just cannot have friends like this in your life. But for Enid... Probably this is the new part of her life where she's learning to have friends that she can trust. That's a really good point. And Jessica was her friend first. So if that's your blueprint for friendship, it's hard to actually. That's a really good point. If we're going to do the comparative literature thing here between (laughs) Sweet Valley High and Harry Potter, a similar thing in both cases is that the person who's not believing, who's not Mm -hmm. trusting Ron and Enid, in both cases, 
it's really about just being so upset mm. that they're lashing out. Mm. If they really, you know, like calmed yeah. their feelings and thought about it, they would mm. figure it out. But Ron is very jealous of mm. Harry. Enid is just so upset about having mm. this relationship broken mm. and just so hurt about the injustice of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the injustices continue uh, because Jessica convinces Ronnie to go to the dance with her. <laughs> yes. Jessica tells... Oh tells her twin, identical twin sister, Elizabeth, that she is going to smooth things over with Enid. And what does she do instead? Pulls fuel onto the fire. But that was what was a little confusing because you could feel tinges of guilt with Jessica's behaviour. And it felt like sometimes maybe she actually did think she was helping more that she'd convinced herself she was helping. But it, what the rest of the world was seeing was just destruction on a massive scale. So I think in her heart, bits of her thought that she was being helpful. By lying. By lying. It was just very... And the lie she tells Enid is that, oh yeah, Elizabeth did tell me all... Well, she says that Elizabeth told her all about the letters, which is true. Mm-hmm. But Elizabeth didn't tell her about the letters until after mm-hmm. the secret was out and Enid had gotten mad at Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie had broken up with her. And Jessica is also telling Enid that, like, oh, well, I'm sure she just let something slip out. You know, she doesn't fess up to being the one to do it. Nor does she defend Elizabeth and say there's no way she ever would have done this to you. But Jessica also thinks that Elizabeth is better off without Enid. Exactly. And also her jealousy of the fact that Enid chose Elizabeth over Jessica uh, when... She just decided she preferred Elizabeth's company. So there's all that hurt as a history. So it's two things with Enid, like the rejection and also taking up Elizabeth's time when Jessica feels like this is my Elizabeth. I don't understand why you're always together. So, Yeah. So on top of all of this, there is a very salacious B story happening. (gasps) Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. It was dealt with in an interesting way, but I feel like if it was now, this would, you just couldn't put something like this so lightly. Well, let's not keep the audience waiting. Let's tell them what happened. Miss Dalton, the French teacher, young 25 year old French teacher, who, of course, who creepily seems to be dating George Fowler, who I don't know how Lila Fowler's rich father, which I'm just like, Nora, no, no. Lila's a mess, um, but I, I don't know much about George apart from that he's new money. That's true, which, which is no crime. Yeah. Although the author sometimes seems to think it's a crime. I, I know, right? Elizabeth I mean, has a snide remark sometimes about maybe the Fowlers are snobs because they got rich so recently. But um, no, George Fowler reveals himself throughout the course of the book to be a pretty withholding father, mm. who a lot of Lila's bitchiness, I think, comes from the fact that her dad doesn't show her more affection mm. or spend more time at home with yeah. her. But anyway, that putting that aside, because that's just a passing detail mm. about Mrs. Miss Dalton, uh, she is teaching French, and Lila, out of anger, decides to start a rumor that Miss Dalton and hunky Ken Matthews have been having an affair. Ken Matthews, a fellow 16-year-old student of Miss Dalton's, yes. are having this affair. She creates this rumor out of you know whole cloth. Mm-hmm. It's completely nothing, other than the fact that 
Ken is sort of charming and Miss Dalton is charming. So when they talk to each other, you know, there's maybe like a sparkle in Ken's eyes. He seems to have a crush on her. Yeah, Ken has a huge crush on her and she gives him extra tuition outside of class. So for them, that was enough of a stew to be able to say, well, you never know what's happening and what what sort of tuition she's giving him. She tutors him. Yeah. She's not like giving him money for school. That's what I hear. I love <laughs> you know, yeah, but she's, she's that seems very, very proper. So we'll, I like that. This destroys Miss Dalton. She spends days at home, sick. Mm. She's afraid of getting fired. Yeah. But the students are all like spreading this rumor. They love it. It's so juicy. So juicy. And they think that maybe she's going to get fired. Like Chrome Dome's going to kick her out of yeah. here. And... Everybody loves talking about this rumor, and mm-hmm. it's just destroying this woman's life and poor Ken. I know, and Ken disappears. He just doesn't even understand or get to true. know where he went. We find out that he stopped showing up for school, but we never hear from him again. Yes. Oh no! It was, oh my! One person asks in in passing, like, "How's Kenny taking all this?" Yeah. And whoever's asked is like, "I don't know. You haven't seen him in a while. He hasn't been showing up to school." So, just a terrible, terrible rumor that it is jarring in this book to mm-hmm. read how lightly the students all mm-hmm. take it. The only person taking it seriously, really, other than Elizabeth, who keeps on saying, "Oh, and Enid, who yeah. loves Miss Dalton," yes. and they keep on saying, "It just that just doesn't make sense. Yes. It just can't be true." Is Mr. Collins, yeah. who we know probably has a crush on Miss Dalton. For sure. Because they're both attractive young teachers, so uh, obviously. But oh, that was the interesting about him. I'm like, how old is he? They're saying he looks like a crinkly-eyed Robert Redford. I'm thinking even then Robert Redford was in his 50s. But then I was kind of like, well, he would be like Brad Pitt is now. Because Brad Pitt is in his 50s and kind of crinkly-eyed, but doesn't look 50s-ish. Whereas... Miss Dalton is 25, so there's still a huge age gap, but it's legal and it's um, there's no imbalance of power because he's not her boss, he's just her colleague. So it's not as creepy as it could be, but still. I think he's definitely supposed to be a a man like in his in his 30s. Like I think he's supposed oh. to be a young man. He has a young son. Which like Brad. So Mr. Collins has this moment in the oracle the newspaper mm-hmm. staff room where he's telling everybody like i don't want to hear another word about this like yes. the way you perpetuate a rumor is by even mentioning it mm-hmm. this is completely unsubstantiated mm-hmm. and very hurtful yeah let's not even mention it and not just hurtful you could get arrested and put on a registry for this sort of thing it's yeah just- well, and that's something that the book skips yes. over. Like, the worst thing that's going to happen, if this is true, is that Miss Dalton is going to lose her job, <gasps> it's, as far as the book is concerned, it My seems. there. Yes. <laughs> My goodness me, indeed. But what I did like about it is even Jessica's like, you all are just tripping. This makes no sense. I don't even believe it. And this is Jessica, who is all about salaciousness. The book even kind of phrases it that way. Like, even Jessica, who's not used to defending anyone, <laughs> is going to the defense of Miss Dalton. Uh, and saying, well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. That's before Lila even starts the rumor, yeah. I think. Cleverly, the book actually uses the Miss Dalton thing to tie up the Enid storyline because Enid goes to Miss Dalton's house and tells her everything. Yeah. And Miss Dalton is like, listen, this rumor about me is completely made up, but people believe it without asking me. Mm-hmm. And Enid's like, this that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Miss Dalton says, Well, have you talked to Elizabeth about whether she actually did it? If she said she didn't, like, why don't you believe her? Yeah. Aren't you doing the same thing mm-hmm. all the students are doing to me? 
And that just wakes Enid up. But I do like the fact that it's woman power. It's girl on girl talking that gets her through it. And, of course, I don't know if we can talk about the end already. but um, Yeah, let's do it. George comes at the end and he's gorgeous and he's sorted himself out and he comes to take her to a full dance. But this was after Enid had absolutely decided that she was going. And she was dressed and she was doing her nail polish and she was just ready to head out with her head held high. So it wasn't like this prince coming to the rescue. She was already a princess who was going to go stag. But he came along with a nice horse and she's like, yeah, let's do this together. And you just give me a bit more panache, but nothing more. That's a great point. She, The book's ending would have felt very different mm. if Enid had just been moping at home yep. and Georgia showed up at the door looking mm. all handsome and she'd been like, just one minute, I'll get dressed. Yeah. Instead, she, like you're saying, she's already decided that she's going to forgive Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. She's decided that she's going to go to the dance Mm -hmm. and show her, you know, hold her head high. And then George is just icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The forgiveness cake. The forgiveness cake and just gives her... And the self-assuredness cake. Exactly. And it's just fun to turn up at this ball where this ex-boyfriend's being rude and crazy with the object of his terror and I think in a way it's it's also terrible that he can now say oh I was right all along but um what's your business you know what's true that's right and it's like if he's gonna be mad at Enid for doing something that she didn't do and Mm -hmm. break up their relationship then the hell with them she can go ahead and do it like might as well make it worth her while and so Jessica does get her way briefly because she is crowned fall queen. Yes. Enid doesn't stand a chance. No. Uh, especially showing up with George Fowler <laughs> and Ronnie is Jessica's date. I don't know exactly how Ronnie pulls strings to elect the queen because the student body votes. It, yeah, but it sounded like Elizabeth's the one who made sure that um, Jessica got voted and hand in hand with Winston. Yes. So Winston Egbert the school nerd, wow. class clown, famously class clown, has a huge crush on Jessica. Mm-hmm. Jessica knows this. Uh, Bruce Patman even knows that he mentions it Everybody when Jessica knows. tried to make some, a move on Bruce. He's like, oh, I think Winston likes you. <laughs> so cruel. But, yeah, so then Winston becomes fall king. Yes. And the book suggests in the last moments that they have to do a bunch of events together mm-hmm. now as a couple. They yeah. have to go as king and queen mm-hmm. to like a dance competition mm-hmm. and other events throughout the fall. Yes. So it's an important honor. And I wonder Jessica Better. wanted it. And wanted it with Bruce because again, forced proximity equals falling in love. Let's see how that works out for Jessica and Winston. <laughs> well, yeah, for Winston. Um, Winston's already in love He's with Jessica. Um, but the other thing about it, what was it that I was thinking? Oh, Yes. Bruce always treats Jessica like she's um, someone who plays football with him or is in just the locker room with him. He's all like, way to go, Wakefield. Way to go, Wakefield. He's not even treating her like a woman. It's just very, very interesting. As far as he's concerned, she's this asexual being that just hovers around him all the time. And with Jessica, there are two ways that that kind of treatment can go. Either you become her mortal enemy Mm -hmm. or it just entices her so much more because she just has to get you to her side. She just has to get you to Mm. see her as the like beautiful beauty queen, queen of earth that she is. Jessica actually 
somehow knows that Elizabeth is the one who rigged this all up. And she goes up to Elizabeth and is like, how could you do something so heinous to your own sister? Kara tells her the gossip that they both... No, Kara's her friend. Is it Kara Walker, yeah. Caroline's the one that does the gossip that they both don't like. It is a little bit confusing. Kara Walker is one of the sort of trio of Jessica friends. Mm -hmm. Lila Fowler, Kara Walker, and Jessica Wakefield. Kara described as Jessica's best friend in this Mm -hmm. book. And Caroline Pierce is the notorious gossip who in the first book is responsible for a whole miscommunication Mm -hmm. where people think Elizabeth was uh, slutting it up at Mm -hmm. Kelly's with Rick Andover. Uh, If listeners don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to episode one where we talk through that. Uh, But yes, it is described in the book that both Wakefield twins can agree that they don't like Caroline Pierce. They do not. So one of those two tells Jessica. It's Cara that tells Jessica, but we did it for you because we love you. And Elizabeth was saying, Oh, Elizabeth was saying that Jessica had a crush on Winston and would want them to be together. So Jessica is just mortified, but there is this delicious moment where she says those words Mm. of the gall of this Jessica to say, you, how could you do something so heinous to your own sister? Right. And Elizabeth is like, right back at you, bitch. (laughs) I know, I do love their relationship. Elizabeth just, ah, she knows she's living with this snake, but this is her snake. And she knows the snake would never sting her on purpose to death, but the snake is not beyond just just biting her every so often, or maybe wrapping her around a little too tightly, but would never on purpose kill her. I love this analogy. And so Elizabeth just, goes on living with this snake that she kind of loves as well. Who she and defends her. Very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Defends her, but has her eyes wide open as well most of the time. But it keeps hoping that this snake will be reformed. It's, it's such an interesting... <laughs> very interesting uh, dynamic. Well, that brings us to another important uh, feature of the Sweet Valley Diaries podcast, which is where I ask you the all-important question, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? Oh, I am such an Elizabeth. I mean, like, I I stalk the Jessicas of the world, telling them about how they are terrible people and how they need to find their way. Yes. (laughs) Um, I can really deeply appreciate that. But I do have to say, rereading these, it... I, I enjoyed Jessica a lot more than I did when I was younger, when I was first reading them. I just used to think, who is this horrific person that we have to deal with in every book? But I, I just, I relished how she owned her beauty and how she mm-hmm. owned, because all of us at 16, we have this radiance that we really have no idea about. And Jessica, in some ways, doesn't fully understand the power of the youth and just being that age, but she does fully understand the power of how how her external will allow her to get away with so many things. So she she embodies it and just goes for it in a way that you find lots of women are a little too apologetic to do, but not Jessica. Jessica just, she, everything about it is just, she she relishes it and she will not get to age 60 and think, oh, I didn't make the most of this. That's so true. I love that. I think that relates a little bit to that momentary passing feeling of kinship that I had with Jessica reading the book of just like, yeah, you know, sometimes you just wish that the the way you see yourself is the way other people see you all the time, too. And it's frustrating when that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Oh, 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 who's a beautiful boy? 
comes a segment in the podcast where we talk about boys. <laughs> I didn't warn you about this. What boys do we have that we haven't talked about already in this book? Oh my goodness. Oh, I think it was the boys and then girls as well. I have um, just the people they would refer to as as gorgeous people like the Burt Reynolds of the world. And they'd say so-and-so looks like Burt Reynolds. Right at the beginning of the book, yes. Jessica is told that she looks like Bo Derek. Yes. When exactly. she's wet, like Bo Derek from yes. 10. Yes. When she's like wet in a swimsuit. I know that reference because it has come up a lot of times in my life. But yes, yes the Burt Reynolds thing, though, was amazing because um, I think it's like Elizabeth is using his name in passing to suggest that he's like the most attractive person exactly. on earth. Exactly. That, that thrilled, <laughs> th- thrilled me to bits. I was like, Burt Reynolds? I didn't even know there was a moment in time this was the case, but I do remember around Smokey and the Bandit, he was seen as sexy and interesting, but I thought it was just kind of like, I don't know, it just didn't seem like someone Elizabeth would be after. Yeah, I agree. Elizabeth has Liz. And then, of course, <laughs> Linda Ronstadt. I'd forgotten how obsessed they were with Linda, Linda Ronstadt, Ronstadt in the series. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there was a whole book about one of the characters who just sounded exactly like Linda Ronstadt because that's the best, the pinnacle of singing. You know, yeah. you cannot be anything greater than Linda Ronstadt. That's true. For some reason, maybe it's because of the music. This is reminding me of a passing note we get about Guy Chesney in this book, who oh of the droids. Oh, wow. He says something like, if it weren't for the rumor mill at this school, my social reputation would be way worse. Because... Every and he's not even he doesn't even explain himself. But the book has kind of alluded in the early chapters that nobody really knows what's going on in the droids' smoky yes, basement. Yes. And it sounds like there's a lot of rumors about what like wild children they are and how they're drinking and smoking and you know probably fucking and yeah. like. Um, he just says it in passing when it's like, oh, Guy Chesney knows you know which side of his bread is buttered but what I mean he, he does he really does that's yeah. not the saying but you know what I mean yeah I do know what you mean <laughs> he really does know which side of his bread is buttered absolutely <laughs> yeah oh but I, I mean like just oh and that was also the thing about Lila's father that I, I was curious about it talks about oh how do they put it that um there was this new silicon chip industry that was sprouting up and I was like, is this set next to Silicon Valley? I thought it was more Southern California. So it completely threw me. It's, you know, they referenced that Los Angeles is kind of close. Uh, yes. Um, in episode one, uh, my one of my uh, guests, one of my roommates was suggesting that it sounded like Pacific Palisades. Huh. Another person was saying it seemed like the Valley. Like yeah. we were t- actually talking about that. Yeah. Is this the LA area or what? That's the thing. I feel like it wouldn't be that close to LA because it's Sweet Valley. They, yeah. they would be living racier lives. But we know that if you get too far up in between mm. Los Angeles and San Francisco, even on the beach, it's kind of like there's farmland. We don't ever hear farmland described in these books. That's also a good point. It's so interesting. It doesn't feel like the Palisades, but yeah. Or even the Valley. They, these, these kids feel closeted somewhere. Far away. But it, it, it's odd. I just kept thinking, 
oh, Silicon Valley, maybe that's where all the new money came from. Definitely, like, computer chips is absolutely the industry that he gets into. Oh, my goodness. Um, And what else was I thinking about? There's so many things. (laughs) When I was reading it, I was just thinking how, I think when I was 16 or maybe 15, I had something vaguely similar happen with these letters I was exchanging with this boy who I shouldn't have been. And um, I was actually friends with his girlfriend, but all the letters were super chaste. Well, all my letters to him were super chaste, but his to me were a little racier. And we just got to a point where I felt as if I was super vulnerable to having these letters discovered and it would be the talk of the town because I was in a very small town, similar to Sweet Valley. Um, And so I took them to my friend's house for safekeeping and she swore blind she wouldn't share them with anyone. And she, she really, I think, honestly didn't plan to, but... Some older friends, I think her older siblings had some friends over and she wanted to impress them and they just seemed a little curious about our friendship and some of the rumours they'd been hearing because, you know, they were the couple in town at the time. And so I think she ended up showing them one of the letters and then somehow everyone seemed to find out about the letters. That's fascinating. And I thought to myself, I, I read this years before and I didn't learn a single lesson why didn't I remember that this had happened in secrets and your secrets get out when you give your friends your letters to keep for you <laughs> why and I kept thinking this this book was trying to teach me something back then and it, it just didn't sink through Adora I'm so sorry that happened to you but I also can hardly believe it that's so similar to the I plot of like, this book you learned nothing, Adora. You, you read about this and still you went and enided yourself. Well, but have you ever enided yourself again since then? That is true. So no. maybe it has to happen to you in real life. You can't just read it in a book. Sure. There has to be convergence of the two things and then it really sets in. That and you true. never enid yourself again. I didn't. I really didn't. And it's harder to forward emails to friends to keep for you. So it's just, yeah. The opportunity hasn't arisen to be enided, but yeah. Well, maybe. The letters became a, a big thing. And then they went missing completely until this day. Everyone swears that they don't know what happened to the letters. It's all very funny. <laughs> funny. That's it for this episode of Sweet Valley Diaries. I'd like to thank my guest, Adora Nwandu. We'll hear more from her in next week's extra drama episode. Sweet Valley Diaries is produced by me, Marissa Flaxbart and is an audio adaptation of SweetValleyDiaries.net. Thanks to Jocelyn Schofield for the use of her song, Beautiful Boys. To Lauren Shippen, Don Flaxbart, Mary-Kate Battles, and you for listening. I desperately want to hear from you. We're on Twitter at Sweet Valley, and now on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries. And our email address is SweetValleyDiaries at me, that's M-E dot com. Now Adora, tease us. Can Jessica play Bruce Patman's game and win? Find out in Sweet Valley High number three, Playing With Fire.